This podcast is brought to you by the InterAstra Institute, the global public square for the business of space. Join us at interastra.space. Mary and I talked about how we would orchestrate the tour as we walked over on the appointed day and reviewed the royal protocol lessons we'd been given. We both agreed that curtsy was out of the question. We'd also been told we should call her ma'am. I don't know about the ma'am part, said Mary. I wasn't sure if this was general rebelliousness on her part or an age thing. Fergie was some 12 years younger than Mary, and eight years younger than me for that matter. Even in Texas, where ma'am is a common form of address, we usually didn't call our peers or our youngers ma'am. We decided to skip that and see what happened. I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. So join me on this podcast journey as I reflect on lessons learned from life so far and from my brilliant and ever inquisitive guests. We'll explore together in this very moment from right where you are. Spaceship not required. Welcome to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Before we take off, I have a gift for you. I believe that no matter where you are today, an active thirst for knowledge will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at kathysullivanexplores.com, you'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you and also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to kathysullivanexplores.com. I never met the Queen of England, but I did have a brush with British royalty during my NASA career. When news reached the Johnson Space Center in Houston, where I was based, that a British princess wanted to visit during her grand U.S. tour in 1989, it caused a lot of excitement in my world. Royal visits to the United States are pretty rare, after all. And a visit to NASA's Houston base? That's a lot rarer. The pending visit of Her Royal Highness the Princess of York, a.k.a. Fergie, put the Johnson headquarters staff into quite the tizzy. A princess doesn't make her own travel arrangements or dirty her hands with the day-to-day details of the stops she'll make every day. No, she just tells her staff of personal assistants and private secretaries what her needs and wants are for the trip and leaves the rest to them. I'm sure I can't imagine what happens from there. What flood of emails and web of conversations it takes to get all of this communicated to the host for every stop in every city on a long tour, and then relay the proposed plans back to the palace for the princess's approval. Surely the British Embassy in Washington, the State Department, NASA headquarters were all involved in planning this short visit to our space center, not to mention a whole bevy of people down with us in Houston. We all knew that an astronaut or two would eventually get roped into helping with the visit on November 4th. Everybody who comes to JSC hopes to see or maybe even meet an astronaut. And so, unsurprisingly, one day in late October, I learned that fellow astronaut Mary Cleave and I were to give Fergie a tour, 90-minute tour, 
of the full-size space shuttle mock-up we ourselves use for training. We call it the Full Fuselage Trainer, or FFT for short, and for good reason. It was a full-size replica of all the parts of a space shuttle that matter for living and working in space, which were pretty much the nose section with its crew module and the cargo bay. The mock-up needed no wings or landing gear for our purposes, so it didn't have those. And the top of the tail was chopped off so it would fit under the roof in the huge building it lived in. On orbit, we would live and work in that crew module up front. This was the highest fidelity part of the mock-up, meaning everything inside of it was exactly like a real, flight-worthy crew module. It was almost like they'd built a whole space shuttle and just decided randomly to use it only for ground training instead. But this let us train very realistically for the realities of basic living on board. You know, the everyday stuff like unpacking and stowing our gear, setting up small experiments, preparing our meals, getting ready for spacewalks. The airlock in the mock-up even had real oxygen and electrical power systems. So we could actually put our flight spacesuits on inside the airlock and go through all of the steps leading up to opening the hatch to head outside. The rest of the mock-up was the exact size of a real shuttle, but with much less realistic detail. And that was okay, because very few of us would ever venture outside the crew module to work. But it did provide one key thing, dimensions that matched exactly the dimensions of a real shuttle. That meant we could confirm sight lines and camera angles and things like that that we would need when we were working with the robotic arm and monitoring our cargoes. There was, however, one glaring inaccuracy in the cargo bay. A door to the outside on the port side way back near the tail. Real space shuttles don't have side doors, of course. We had added one to the mock-up so that we had an easy way to go in and out of the cargo bay and didn't always have to clamber through the three small hatches that you need to go through to get from outside into the crew module and into the airlock and then out into the cargo bay. The FFT and several other mock-ups were housed in a cavernous building a couple hundred yards away from our offices at the Space Center. Mary and I talked about how we would orchestrate the tour as we walked over on the appointed day and reviewed the royal protocol lessons we'd been given. We both agreed that curtsy was out of the question. We'd also been told we should call her ma'am. I don't know about the ma'am part, said Mary. I wasn't sure if this was general rebelliousness on her part or an age thing. Fergie was some 12 years younger than Mary, and eight years younger than me for that matter. Even in Texas, where ma'am is a common form of address, we usually didn't call our peers or our youngers ma'am. We decided to skip that and see what happened. Our final plan was to go into the cargo bay through the side door, impress Fergie right up front with its immense size, then go forward towards the nose, climb through the aft hatch into the airlock, and go on into the crew module. We figured it would be fun to see how she handled the bit of gymnastics that the hatches take and to manage the ladder up to the flight deck. And up topside, we were sure she'd want to sit in the space shuttle commander's seat, even if it was only on a ground-based model. The princess finally arrived, leading a gaggle of aides. Now, we probably should have expected an entourage. She was a princess, after all. But we were frankly taken aback. 
We'd get no sense of Fergie herself with this bunch of minders in tow. Fergie gave no sign of noticing the missing ma'ams or curtsies as we exchanged greetings and pronounced our plan for the tour jolly good. I was still fretting over the unexpected gaggle when an impish idea came to me about how to peel her away from them. There is just one small problem, I said, just as we were about to head for the side door. There's a man-loading constraint on the mock-up. We can't have more than three people inside at once. That was a flat-out, bald-faced lie. There were almost always more bodies in the mock-up when we trained, but Fergie wouldn't know that, and if she bought it, Mary and I would get a little glimpse of what she's like without all her royal hangers-on. Seeing that this had made one of the minders a bit nervous, probably her protection officer, I quickly added, there's just one way in and one way out, so there's no reason to worry. Oh, well, sorry, gang, she said to the gaggle, and off the three of us went through the side door and into the payload bay. Fergie quickly proved to be a curious and energetic guest, really full of insightful questions and, of course, the occasional bemused wisecrack and eating up every little bit of detail and color commentary that we offered. And she was indeed openly amazed at the size of the shuttle's cargo bay. She peppered us with questions about what kinds of things we carried aloft in it and what we did with them. As we were wandering forward towards the, the hatch and thinking about clambering through it, she didn't bat an eye. And I, I don't remember if she was wearing a dress or slacks, but clothing sure didn't seem to matter. She just popped right through the hatch into the airlock, a little bit of a giggle as she crouched down. And then she marveled at all the switches and the wiring in that tiny little space. We showed her how it would work if spacesuits were inside. And then she popped just as lightly into the lower deck of the crew module. And here she was amazed again, but this time by how tiny our living space was. And just like the airlock, loaded with switches and cables. We opened the hatches in the floor in the deck to show her the tanks and fans and filters below, pieces of our essential life support equipment, you would have thought we revealed a magical realm. I guess royals never need to think about everything it takes to keep their palaces going. But astronauts don't have that luxury. Every one of us needs to be a combination scientist, cook, maintenance engineer, and house cleaner. So of course we knew where all this stuff was and how to get at it. The main attraction on shuttle tours of the mid-deck was always the infamous potty, the world's only $6 million toilet with seatbelts. Its odd appearance and huge cost and unfortunate tendency to break down on early shuttle flights had long made it a favorite target for media ridicule, and I can tell you it spawned a lot of potty jokes within the astronaut corps as well. That, in combination with the universal fascination with bodily functions, is a recipe for obsessive interest, and Fergie was no exception. Mary was a trained sanitation engineer, so naturally she had been assigned at the height of all the troubles to be the astronaut office's potty expert and drive the engineering fixes needed to make it work reliably. She quickly dubbed herself the Potty Fairy, which was a title she wore quite proudly. And so, of course, she took the lead on explaining to Fergie how it all worked. The obvious place to start was with the commode itself. The two most important things when pooping, Mary explained, are to make sure your bum is set firmly against the seat and to open the valves in the proper order. 
First open the vacuum valve to start the air flowing, then open the gate valve beneath the seat, and then do your business. The air that's drawn in between the seat and the potty bowl substitutes for gravity, pulling your poop down into the waste tank. Be sure to close the gate valve before floating up off the seat. Get the sequence wrong, and you may find poop floating you through the cabin. Your mistakes will follow you around, was the standard joke. Fergie looked like she could barely believe it. I joined in to add that what we women found especially cool about going to the bathroom in space was that everyone could pee standing up, not just the guys. No need to drop trow and sit down, just hover at the end of the tube that pulled your pee into the waste tank, again, thanks to the vacuum of space right outside your door. Fergie positively guffawed and said she couldn't wait to try that. The flight deck was our next stop. If Fergie thought she'd seen a lot of switches already, she was in for a real shock now. The flight deck of a shuttle bristled with well over a thousand switches and circuit breakers. She couldn't believe we really knew what every single one of them was for, but we assured her we absolutely did. I again had to wonder if royals even switched a lamp on for themselves. We gave her an overview of what we did in each zone of the cockpit when we were in flight and, and how microgravity made working there so unique. Like that in orbit, the large windows in the ceiling above her head would feel more like the windows in the hull of a glass-bottomed boat, allowing us to watch the Earth go by beneath us. And at other times, they felt like the front window, like when the commander was maneuvering the shuttle to rendezvous with another spacecraft or dock with the space station. Hopping into the commander's seat was the finale of the tour experience, and another little bit of gymnastics for her, again handled without a hitch. And then we were out of time. We had one last little bit of zero-g trivia for her before she started down the ladder to the mid-deck below. She'd swim down the ladder headfirst if she was in space, using the steps as handholds instead of footholds. Unfortunately, She'd, of course, need to climb down it like a regular earthling today. We followed her down the ladder and out through the side hatch onto the raised platform outside. Her gaggle of minders was chatting with the mock-up manager on the floor below. As she started down to them, Fergie called out, Nigel, I think we'll go to space. What do you think? Yes, ma'am, was, of course, the dutiful reply, sounding a bit like yes, mum to me with his lovely British accent. Fergie thanked us profusely and scooted off to Mission Control for her next stop. But we were not at all surprised to learn that when the Johnson Space Center director later that day asked her if she'd like to fly on a space shuttle, the answer was a resounding yes. How about you? Would you love a ride into space? I guarantee you'd love zero gravity and be absolutely awed by the Earth's views. Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to kathysullivanexplores.com. This podcast is brought to you by the InterAstra Institute. New episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Music, and most everywhere podcasts are found. To be the first to know when the next episode drops, head over to interastra.space.